about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. My name is Roger Bray. I'm one of the ministers here. It's great to be with you this morning as we consider together that, particularly that passage um, from John. Let me pray as we continue. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the privilege of coming to your word this morning. Uh, we ask that as we listen to these last events um, of, your, of Jesus' death on the cross, that you would continue to help us uh, dwell on those things in our hearts, that our lives might be transformed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week I was doing one of those things that ministers sometimes do, and that is I was reading a sermon, but it was a sermon from 502, or around that period anyway, just one or two years ago. It was written by a guy called Caesar Use of Ariel, and he, and that's all in French apparently, so excuse my French, it's terrible, but he, he was apparently a bishop in Gaul, in southern Gaul, and he wrote quite a range of different sermons. And the beginning of this sermon actually caught my eye because this is what he says as he thinks about Jesus' death on the cross. Why did Jesus, who has power and wisdom of the Father, not by his divine power and sole authority, but rather by his bodily humility and human struggle, come to the salvation of man? Another question, why did he who is proclaimed to have life in the beginning by a word not destroy death just by a word? Why was it necessary for the Lord Jesus Christ to receive such a harsh period of suffering? Wasn't he able to free the human race just through his power? Why the cross? Why the death? Why his burial? And what struck me about those questions is they're rather modern questions, aren't they? They're questions that we might find ourselves asking about Jesus and his death and why on earth did this come about and why does Jesus actually have to hang on a cross? That does not seem to make a lot of sense. One of his answers is equally fascinating. One of his answers is compassion must not destroy justice. Compassion must not destroy justice. As I thought about it, actually that's a real thing, isn't it? Trying to work out how compassion and justice fit together. I most notably feel it when it affects me. I distinctly remember the only time I got uh, three of the best, and for those of you who are not familiar with that, that was the cane, and I got it three times. Um, I had been sitting in my assembly hall in high school, um, and of course I don't particularly agree with corporal punishment, but that's another story, Um, and I was sitting on these seats, and uh, our assembly hall had a kind of slope to it, and it was one of those periods where we just kind of had nothing to do, and we were watching watching a movie on the screen. And so there was might have been 20 in the assembly hall, and there was like, you know... 200, 300 seats there 
we're just kind of hanging about, watching this film. And uh, a group of us decided to turn the seats around in front of us and put our feet up, okay? Um, we knew that this was not something that was, was allowed, but nonetheless, we did this. At about sort of 10 minutes in, I thought, hmm, actually, this is not such a good idea. I do know that the teachers do prowl up and down the aisles, and perhaps I should take my feet off. So I did. I took my feet off. The rest of the row, of course, left their feet on. The teacher did come by and said, three of the best, off you go, boys. And off we went and got three of the best. Now, I wanted to have compassion on myself. I, I, I wanted to justify what I was doing. Look, look, I didn't have my feet on the chair when you saw me. My feet were off the chairs. And so I was trying to be compassionate to myself, but actually for justice to be meted out, I'd actually had my feet on the chairs. And so we sometimes find ourselves in these tricky situations where we want to be kinder to ourselves than actually we deserve. Have you noticed that? And perhaps kinder than to other people than we deserve, or than they deserve. Perhaps a friend or a relative has done something and we think the justice is too harsh. And so we want more compassion. And so there's a real art in keeping justice and compassion together. And particularly when we think not just about the justice we feel, the injustice we might feel, when we think about God's justice... God who is just and sees all, sees everything that we do and says the wages of sin against him is death. And yet, we consider him to be a loving God. Compassion and justice. How do we bring those two things together? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning our reading has both those themes running through it. Compassion and justice. And it's on the cross we see this compassion and justice meet. In John chapter 13, as we prepare for Jesus' death and resurrection, we read these words about the Passover. It was just before the Passover... Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I just think those are beautiful words, aren't they? It's clearly Jesus has spent time with his disciples, with those who are his own in the world and clearly he has compassion. But then John reminds us he is going to show us the full extent of his compassion, the full extent of his love. And therefore, in the chapters that unfold, we start to see what the extent of that love is. And as we come to that scene that we heard just read uh, previously in John chapter 19, we see the extent of this compassion 
and the justice of God in this horrible scene. And I just want to note two things about this scene as we briefly consider this together. If you might remember as the reading started out, it was the day of preparation uh, for a special Sabbath day. And the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders in particular, um, did not want Jesus left on the cross. And so they were preparing to, they asked the Roman soldiers to go and break the legs. And so they started breaking the legs of various people who were hanging on the crosses around Jesus. But when they come to Jesus, they don't break his legs because they find that he is already dead. What's interesting is the commentary on this. In verse 36, we read these words. These things happened so that the scripture should be fulfilled. None of his bones will be broken. Now, at one level, that's significant because hundreds of years before, someone had prophesied that someone would come and die and none of his bones would be broken. But I think John is actually doing something more significant as he thinks about these things. As As the Jews and Pilate want to hasten Jesus' death, As the bones are broken around Jesus so that people would die quickly because they could not hold themselves up. Jesus' bones are not broken. And according to John's chronology, Jesus was dying on the cross at the exact moment that lambs were being slaughtered for the Passover. What's the significance of that? Well, if you reach back into the Passover history of the Jewish nation, you will know that Passover lambs did not have their bones broken. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12, that's what it says. You shall not break any of its bones. Now, John has already identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Later on, Paul will go on to say, For Christ is our Passover Lamb who has been sacrificed. In the original setting, the Passover, the sacrifice of lambs, signified those partaking of a sacrifice that means that they would be spared from God's judgment. If the Israelites ignored or disobeyed God's warning, they would suffer the death of their firstborn with the Egyptians. But this sacrifice was required to spare them from death and from great sorrow. As we think about the New Testament and what it says as as they understand the Passover, we read in Ephesians chapter 5, we walk in, in the love of Christ who has also loved us and given himself as an offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Or in the book of Hebrews, we hear, he has appeared to to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Like the ancient Israelites and Egyptians, all humanity has a sin penalty to pay. We have death hanging over us. But what we see in Jesus' death, the Passover lamb, 
is that the wages of our sins are placed upon his shoulders. His sacrifice removes the death penalty for us. It is both compassion and justice at the same time. The things that we deserve, the death that we deserve, has been dealt with. But who has stood in our place? Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the one who knew no sin, dies like the Passover lamb on the cross, legs unbroken, in our place. Compassion and justice. That's, of course, not the only place we see that in this scene. There's another scene which is pretty interesting as well. As Jesus um, is on the cross, we see that his side is pierced and out of it flows blood and water. And, of course, much has been made of this uh, incident taking place um, because it often signifies that someone is dead. It, It kind of proves that he's dead. But many others have seen other symbolic references here as they think about John and what he understands of both blood and water. Very often in John, the idea of water symbolizes a powerful new life that Jesus gives the believer. Furthermore, the water is often expressive of the spirit in which the life-giving power of Jesus is given. And the blood, of course, signifies Jesus' death and his blood flowing for us. That idea of his sacrificial and redemptive death, that we are purified from sin. And so we have this sense that even in the flow of blood and water, we too are being caught up and we too are lifted up with the Son who is in our place. So therefore we can conclude that as the, um, blood, as the blood and water flow from the pierced side of Jesus, we too are in Christ. As Galatians 2 puts it, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer I live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christian is called to live as one who has Christ who lives in them by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, who died in my place, who showed compassion and justice. And so this morning I want to invite you to consider as we think about Jesus' death on the cross, both the compassion and justice of God and see where they meet and hold them to be true in your heart. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.